Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 4-3 show. I am back. I am your host, Ryan Blank, with Dominic Stern and Parker Dunn. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good. Padres lost, so I could be doing better, but I got to umpire some baseball, got to be out in the sun today, so, you know, life could be worse. You know, the Royals lost. I'm getting used to it. Three and six. What else can I expect? Let's get it going. Our first topic of today's episode is the Jamal Adams trade. Jamal Adams was traded to the Seahawks, two first-rounders, a 2021 third, and Bradley McDougald. Guys, what are your reactions to this trade? Um, my reaction is I am thinking along the same lines as you, Ryan. I think that they did give up too much to get him. Obviously, the thing with this is it's a double-edged sword because you look at it from one end and it's like you are hands down the best safety in the league. He's established himself the second he stepped onto the field for the Jets. And he's been nothing short of living up to that high draft pick that he was taken at. He's a guy that has dominated the league. He can do just about everything. And there's a reason why uh, his asking price, or at least the Jets asking price for him was so high. I do think that one thing I will do to defend Seattle, although I do think they gave up too much ultimately, no matter how talented he is, one thing that I will say is Seattle's a team that in recent memory hasn't drafted particularly well with their first rounders. I feel like they've had a lot of hit and misses. They've stretched on a lot of guys that come to mind. So I think that when you look at it that way, okay, well, this isn't a team that exactly you know pans out with their first round picks. So I, I think that it's for that reason, it's all right. I think it's a pretty even trade. The Jets got a great return. And I think that I think the Jets are the winner here because ultimately they got a lot for a guy that wasn't going to stay with them in the end. You mentioned that Seattle definitely uh, doesn't have a great uh, success of drafting first round talents. I think really looking at their last first round draft picks, their last successful one was Bruce Irvin. And even then, he's kind of had an up and down career. So I'm not sure why the Seahawks were so insistent on getting Jamal Adams. However, th- their defense is going to be much more improved over last season. I still think they can definitely re-sign Jadavion Clowney, especially to a one-year deal, because you got to take advantage of the fact that you got Jamal Adams right now and the fact that he's still on his rookie contract. And whether or not the Seahawks will extend Jamal Adams this year or following the season will be uh we'll, we'll see that in a little bit but I I think that the Jets got a great return for a great player I think very highly of Jamal Adams his football IQ is I think unmatched by any safety in the NFL he can cover he can rush he can stop the run he he's truly an incredible talent in the league so the Seahawks get a really good player for the time being had to give up a lot to get him going to have to give up a lot to keep him, and the Jets are going to load up in that draft for next year. They're really hurting themselves this year, especially with some news that came out today. The Jets are in a very interesting spot and could either be a good team in a couple years or it could really stink. Yeah, I have a few reactions with this trade. I am not taking anything away from Jamal Adams. He is, I believe, the best safety in the entire NFL. Terrific player. Football IQ is off the charts. But I agree with you, Parker. I think Seattle gave up a lot. Especially because there's always that chance that they gave up two first-round picks and he may leave. I think that is a huge risk when you have to be able to know he is going to re-sign and be with your team in the future. So I believe that that's a huge risk that I think a lot of teams are taking. But for... But for Seattle, I think it's a great trade because they get a piece of that defense that they've really missed since the loss of Cam Chancellor. But I believe when you're looking at Jamal Adams, he wanted out. The whole thing with how the Jets treated him and with his contract, it was a mess. And he finally gets what he wants and gets out. But I think the Seahawks are kind of thinking that Jamal Adams will be like Tyran Matthew in a sense on what his type of play and how he plays will get them to rise and become a better defense. For example, with 
when the Chiefs signed Tyree Matthew in 2018, that defense ranked 26th in DVOA. This past year, they ranked 14th. Haha, Dom, top 20 defense. Yes, thank you for repeating that. You you want the bet? You don't have to bring up the bet when I I paid you before the season was over. Okay, you don't have to keep bringing this up. I eh, gosh, mm, man. I just love it. I just love pointing it out that you were wrong. But yes, and then you I was saw wrong. and I paid yeah, exactly. You. I paid exactly. you early. Yes, you did. So, but you see that drastic increase and uptick just by getting Tyron Matthew, even though I don't think it's all because of him, but he had a big effect on how the defense looked and how the defense improved last year. I think they're thinking that Jamal Adams can do the same thing for their defense. But I also think that the Seahawks are another example of giving up a good amount to trade for a big-name player like Jadavion Clowney and they and he's still a free agent. They still have the opportunity to sign him, and I still think he'll end up end up back in Seattle. But there's still that worry that he could leave after giving up some. They didn't give up a lot for him, but they gave up something for one year, and they didn't even make the Super Bowl. So I just believe that there's a huge risk that a lot of teams just take on, but yet it doesn't always work. Parker, let me guess the Athletics won. That they did, yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. wasn't a pretty win, but a win's a win. I can't complain too much. Hey, at least your team won tonight. At least your team is in three and six. Yeah, you're the only person in here whose team won tonight. But my team is over 500. I don't know if you two guys can say the same. I certainly sure, sure <laughs> right, can. Right, right at 500, but not a bad hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, getting back to football. But I also a lot love of how you made this trade. about the Chiefs, Ryan. You you found a way to make the Jamal Adams. Well, here's the thing. I did my research on it, and it's true. Yeah, no, your comparison was fine. It's just, it's just funny how it worked out. Exactly, <laughs> but no, for sure, it's a good trade for both sides because they each get big pieces back. But I gotta give Douglas credit, the GM of the Jets, got a ton of return. He has a chance to really use these picks to help make this team and get them back to playoff contention where they have not been for the past few years. So they could really use, depending on how they use these draft picks, will depend on who is the true winner of this trade. But also if Jamal Adams ends up leaving, you already know the Jets won the trade. So there's just a lot of unknown with it. But the Seahawks got better by getting the top safety, in my opinion. So, But moving on, let's go on to Joey Bosa. I know Dom does not like the team that he plays for. I also but, just don't like Joey Bosa. Neither do I. But he got <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> paid. He got paid. Five years, $135 million extension, $78 million guaranteed at signing, and a total of 102 guaranteed, which is a new NFL record. So what do you guys think about this contract extension, and what do you think it does for the Chargers moving forward? Well, I, you know, Joey deserves his money. He's... I don't know where to rank pass rushers because ranking pass rushers is always very interesting because you have guys that do really good for one year, like D Ford, and then they they drop off a bit. And then there's guys that are consistently good, but then there's guys like Chandler Jones who are extremely underrated, and Aaron Donald and other guys. Joey Bosa kind of fits that mesh where he's he's really good, but at the same time he's also underrated because he plays for the C words and he got paid because the chargers know how good he is, how much of an impact he makes on that defensive line. And they know that you gotta, you gotta rush a passer to win. So as much as I dislike Joey Bosa, as much as I just hate with every ounce of blood in my body, the team he plays for, they made the right decision here. They paid him a lot of money, but uh, Joey Bosa deserves all of it. And I hate you C words. <laughs> yeah, going off of that, uh, I, I think that at first, like when I saw it, like when I get that notification for any big move in the NFL, like there'll be like that immediate reaction. And then after a while, you know, I might have to look back at it, do a little more research to really have a good opinion on it. At first, I thought, wow, I mean, Joey Bosa, incredible player, one of the better pass rushers in the league. It, I thought it was 
uh, a little bit much at the time, but I, I, I was wrong. I'll flat out put it out there. He, he's one of those top-tier pass rushers since he entered the league. He had an immediate impact as a rookie, and his game has really been taken to another level. He's been very consistent. He's a guy that's, for the most part, been able to stay healthy uh, for a majority of his career, and he's going to give you consistent numbers. He averages 10 sacks a season uh, since he entered the league as a rookie, and the guy backs it up. The stat sheet's filled. And he puts up numbers that definitely warrant the money. Obviously, anytime you have the leading contract for a defensive player as far as guaranteed money goes, that's a lot. Not going to lie, there's no no getting around that. But he is a guy that seems like he's going to continue to get better. He gets in the face of the quarterback, and uh, he's a good piece for what is a very underrated defense when healthy. Yeah, looking at this extension for him, I just want to mention Spanos, who owned the Chargers, in 1984, he bought the team for $72 million. And look at how much he got at signing. Six more. So I just find that interesting. But going on to Bosa himself, he's played in 51 career games and has 40 sacks. By himself last year, he got a second Pro Bowl selection. He had 11.5 sacks and 18 tackles for loss. Bosa has been a terrific piece for that defense, and he's really lived up to that third overall pick that where he was drafted in the 2016 draft. Looking at how the Browns gave Miles Garrett a five-year, $125 million extension earlier this month, it just it makes sense because Bosa has been, since he entered the league, one of those guys that can just make a play at any time and be able to shift momentum just with one play. I think as much as I don't like Joey Bosa or the school he went to, I think the you have to commend – very true. But you have to commend him for what he has done in such a short career. So I think he's deserving of the money. Is it a lot of money? Yes. But you saw before his rookie year, he had trouble with his contract. So he knows that what was, he's worth. That was a nightmare. That <laughs> yeah. was, he knows what he's yeah. worth. Back, back he knows when what I was a fan, that was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, he knows what he's worth. Everyone hated out. him, and then he came out and balled. <laughs> and like, hey, you know, it's it's kind of cool to look for this kid for the year that they're going to remain in San Diego. And then, of course, they left, and everyone's like, all right, Joey, I hate you. <laughs> he, but he's no, probably my favorite year, He only played 12 games in his rookie year, and he recorded 10 and a half sacks. Right. No, I remember I remember watching him kill Denver on Thursday Night Football. I was not, that was me trying to, like, Take a jab at you guys. You guys yeah. won the Super Bowl. Yeah, but I remember that was. I think that was his. I think that was his first game because he he came back from training. He came into training camp and he got hurt right away because he yeah he wasn't ready. And then his first game was against Denver and he got like two sacks. Everyone's like, oh man, this kid's good. But uh, the uh, the recent success of Ohio State pass rushers and top five picks have been pretty good. And yeah, I think. Just- Chase- yeah, I think Chase Young follows you. What Chase Young does, exactly. So, yeah, the Washington football team ends up uh, shocking everyone and wins the NFC East this year. You heard it here <laughs> first. <laughs> Dog, that is an awful take. That's an awful Throwback. take, just like last year. It was so, uh, that, that was a joke. Last year was not. I also didn't realize that Reuben Foster had a torn ACL. But, Fun fact, he had a torn ACL, everybody. Yeah. And he makes the difference of them making the playoffs, too. I he's so good. <laughs> okay, now right, we're gonna we move talk on. About, we don't even talk about the football team. You're right. That just sounds now, so weird. <laughs> oh, trust me, it does. It sounds really weird. But moving on, we're gonna go on to what the NFL has decided is that there will be no preseason games this year. What do you think that this decision does as an effect to teams' rosters and to the development of their younger players? I think it has a huge impact because whether or not you know fans like preseason games besides getting a chance to watch their guys before the actual season starts, you know, of course, there's a lot of opinions on it. I, I am one of those guys that didn't like there being four. I always said like one or two would have been perfect, but I can understand why they have them. One, because it makes money. Uh, but yeah, when you look at it, part. yeah, that, that, of course, that's why they had the four games in place but when you look at it it is valuable for teams because you get to see those rookies you get to see those guys that are fighting for roster spots that are trying to make the team and I think it's valuable chance to 
showcase what these guys are capable of doing so they can prove that they're worthy of being on an NFL team. So I always look at those kind of guys. That's what gets me excited. I know as the Broncos fan, it was fun to watch Drew Locke as a rookie last year because there's a lot of guys where you're looking at him and although preseason doesn't indicate success, a.k.a. Paxton Lynch, um, you see these guys that are competing against other NFL caliber or almost NFL caliber players, depending on when they go in the game, of course. And you look at it, and these are guys that are looking pretty good. They give you hope. They make you excited for the the actual season once it begins. Uh, But this doesn't come as a surprise, of course. They had limited it to two games originally. They are going to play the second and the third game on the schedule the preseason, only to, of course, strip those as well. It's the right call. They need to buy themselves some time and figure out protocols and plays for the games that actually matter. Yeah, and you you mentioned money. That's the big thing. Uh, Yeah. Uh, the main reason they had four was so that each team got two home, and then you played the other two on the road so that the other teams could have the two home games because people would show up to those games, believe it or not. And, you know, uh, gamblers, not not going to name any names, are going to miss out on not having these preseason games to uh, to gamble on. And there, were, I remember there was one game uh, last year, I think it was the Cardinals, and uh, the over/under and the spread were each off by point by half of a point, and I was just like, "Man, that's incredible!" Imagine gambling on that game either way, because because you you you're down to the wire no matter what you have over/under or spread. Anyways, uh, I think this is I don't think this is a huge deal. I don't think uh, you're learning a lot about uh, position battles. During the games, I think you learn more about them in camp, seeing what type of shape the players are and how they're how they're bonding with your teammates. You know, while you're while you're on the field and close and personal, and not having to worry about calling plays and like trying to outcoach the other team. So, I personally am not a huge fan of preseason games. In fact, I, I really don't watch them. If I'm just being completely honest, I, it it means nothing unless your team wins. Unless your team wins, <laughs> you know, we've been we've been over this before in a, a little bit of a different sport. And I, I'm not going to miss preseason football this year, but the fact that it's not happening is a little concerning for me because it means that we could be closer to not having football than if there were to be having preseason football. But I don't think this is a huge concern for the players and such. As long as they get training camp in, they should be good to go. For me, I agree with you, Parker. I think it has a huge effect on rosters and the development of, of young players, especially those undrafted free agents who are fighting for a spot. The preseason is used heavily to see which UDFAs can really be a piece of the team and deserve a roster spot, and you don't have that this year. And for those, look at the price of NFL tickets. They're expensive wherever you go. A lot of families use the preseason to go watch their teams. Yet you're not seeing the star players and the best players the whole 60 minutes, but you still get to see your team and watch your team. And I think that's still going to hurt some people and on their availability to go to games. Families can't go to games. And I think that the rosters aren't at their highest potential or at their best because you're not seeing all the tape and the best out of out of those guys who are fighting for a spot, especially those UDFAs and those guys who are on those cheaper contracts because you haven't seen them in game action. So I think that those are the biggest effects there. Do you guys have anything else to say on this topic? But what you guys said about the development of uh, young undrafted free agents and uh, rookies is true. Those guys, those guys will be hurt by this, but I think for the majority of NFL players who have already established themselves, and uh, teams going forward that are trying to compete for the playoffs, I don't think this is a big loss. Okay, now moving on, we're going to go on to kind of a continually developing story and topic is NFL players opting out of the 2020 season. And, Dom, this is where you're going to say, I always turn it to the Chiefs. Because no, I mean, this is this is this, this has something reason. to do with the Chiefs, so it's yeah. not, this it's whole not like we were talking about Jamal Adams and you pivot to Tyron Matthew. Like, that... that it made sense, but it was just funny how it happened. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. But I, It's a compliment and a roast. 
No, no, don't take it too kindly. So however you please to take it. <laughs> okay, so the first player to opt out was Chiefs right guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. As you guys know, he is known as the doctor because he is a, Mag- a McGill medical I, I did graduate. I know that. Thank you. You didn't know Duvernay-Tardif's <laughs> a doctor. You're joking. No, I did Parker, did you know? Well, I had heard that there wasn't an NFL lineman that was in the league that was a doctor. I just I didn't make the connection to him being that same guy. Yep, Chiefs that is. kingdom is not worldwide. <laughs> you guys are yeah. not a part of it because you one Parker, you root for the Broncos. Two, you're a Fairweather Rams fan. Okay, moving on. I'm not a Fairweather Rams fan. I'm just not a lifelong Rams fan. There's a difference. There's a difference. Okay, but. So he was the first one to and he is known as the doctor because he graduated from the McGill Medical Institute in Canada. But he is actually opting out to stay in Canada to work at a long-term care facility instead of actually just sitting out for his family. He's actually going to be on the lines working to fight COVID-19 and to help people recover from it. That is, that's that? awesome. That's good. You know, there some things are bigger than sports. We hear that sometimes, and sometimes you you want to just close your ears and say, okay, shut up. But, you know, this, <laughs> is, this is a cool way to uh, to fight COVID-19. Nation is still being harmed by it. You know, we, we don't need to get into any further details there. But th- that's a good reason to opt out, you know. Anything, that, anything other than I just don't want to play is a good reason. Family health, uh, your health, you know, th- those are good reasons. Parker, do you have anything? I mean, really, nothing much to add. I feel like, you know, Dom really nailed it right there. I feel like the guys that are opting out, uh, some of the other names that we're going to get to, they all have good reasons, too. Like, there's not guys that just aren't looking to play. These are all competitors. Everyone wants to. It's just these are difficult circumstances, and they have to to take the right precautionary measures to keep people around them safe. Yeah, and you hear a lot of how the players keep saying how tough of a decision it is because they want to be out there playing and be with their teammates. So, but Tardif, I completely respect his decision, especially because he's going he's going to be out there fighting for people and to help the world. I completely respect it. He's honestly one of those frontline heroes that are being praised throughout all of this. But moving on to some bigger names, the Jets got a huge loss today with C.J. Mosley opting out. What do you guys think of the Jets' defense now losing Mosley, especially after him getting hurt last year and signing a five-year deal last offseason. So I I alluded to this earlier today, and I just have one thing to say. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets are not going to be very good this year. Uh, I expect them to be a borderline playoff team, especially with there being seven teams from each uh, from each conference in the playoffs. And the fact that they were 7-6 and six last year when Sam Dan Arnold startled was pretty encouraging for me. And then they drafted a line that added to their wide receiving core. Things were pointing upwards. And then Jamal Adams decided to go on a Twitter rampage and is traded. And now their second-best player on defense, C.J. Mosley, is now not going to be playing for them this year. So now it's just up to uh, Quinn Williams on the defensive line, who is a stud, to carry this team. And I'm not quite sure he's capable of doing that. And I think the Jets have a good chance of getting last place in the AFC East now. They could also end up in second. That division's wide open outside of the Bills in first. Parker, do you have anything? Uh, no, not really. Nothing in particular for him. That's a big loss, and there's really no other way around it. I think that there was a deadline that was set in place for guys and the amount of days that they have to opt out. Was it Tuesday or am I just mixing up dates? They, they said there was a, yeah, a deadline I knew there was for a that. Deadline. There is a deadline for that. I'd have to look it up. Uh, I don't want to take the time and, you know, waste primetime podcast hours of us talking about these things to look it up, but there is a deadline. I'm sure there's going to be much more guys that are going to do it. So there's no surprise with this decision. Yeah, this is really a domino effect that you just see keep coming and coming, and you're going to see more and more players opt out. But remember, C.J. Mosley signed a five-year, $85 million deal with the Jets last offseason. He only played in two games last year. 
Mm-hmm. So in the first two years of his contract, he's only played in two games. Yeah, that's not. It's it can not only like, go up. It can yeah. only go up. Yeah, that's At least the I mentality think. you have to take with it. Unless the J E T S Jets Jets Jets. Find another way to screw this up. Yeah, I also so, just love saying that. It's so fun. Yeah, trust me, I know you do. J E T S Jets Jets Jets. But I think the defense. Them beating the Cowboys in like week five was one of the highlights of the football season. <laughs> oh my lord. Oh my. But no, the Jets are taking a huge hit here. I think the defense is just going to continue to struggle, losing their two best pieces now. They're going to have to rely, like you said, Dom on Quinn and Williams. And I agree with you. I don't know if he's ready. I don't think he's ready to take the the load of leading a defense yet. So you're going to see them probably. I. I'm going to predict them getting last. But you never know. Like you said, Dom, that division is so wide open. And what the Patriots have gone through with opt-outs, you never know what you can you never know what's going to happen. But now we're going to actually get into the Patriots who have lost now a total of 7 players due to opt-outs. And the three biggest names that I've seen are Dante Hightower, Marcus Cannon, and Patrick Chung. What do you guys think of the amount of players of the Patriots opting out, and what it does for them going into this season. Well, I have to say, I mean, I'm kind of disappointed because this was like a, a prime year. One, it's a great chance for Cam Newton to reestablish himself, see if he still has anything left in the tank and can lead a, a contending team. You know, they have a great defense behind him, see if he could do it on his end for the offensive side of the ball. So I was looking forward to seeing Cam return. But a big thing uh, with this season, a big storyline is, of course, Tom Brady departing for the first time in his career. I wanted to see how Bill Belichick could do with a non-quarterback, not by the name of Tom Brady, something that I was a huge believer in. I thought that no matter who you have a quarterback, and this isn't to diss Tom, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen, but I'm a big believer in Bill Belichick and the impact he can have on just about anyone. You could insert anyone in that lineup, and the, the magician that Bill Belichick is will find a way to win you games in that division. So I wanted to see that. So it's unfortunate because these guys are just opting out left and right. And I, I know some Patriots fans. I haven't actually talked to them about it, but I can only imagine what it's like to keep getting these notifications because it's just brutal because there's some incredible players, especially on that defense that we're seeing, which was a strength of that team last year that aren't going to be playing this year. It's a huge loss. And Bill Belichick has the the biggest challenge of his coaching career to find a way to pick up the pieces and to still find a way to compete at a high level. Right. And from conversations that I had last year, you guys know that I wasn't the biggest fan of the Patriots in the second half of the season. I thought they were at that point, just an average team riding a really good first half from their elite defense that won't be the same at all this upcoming season. Don't forget they already lost Kyle Van Noy this off season. He was one of their best defensive players. I think this team's in some trouble, and them and the Jets, I think, could be competing for last place with the Dolphins as a potential wildcard team in second place with the Bills, who I, if, if, at this point, if you don't pick the Bills to win the division, I think you're you're kind of nuts. Or you just hate Josh Allen. But uh, <laughs> another thing is that I've seen uh, in one of our group chats uh, that we have a friend who uh, is not a very big Tom Brady fan, and uh, he he's the biggest Patriots fan this year because he wants to see him win without Tom Brady, so you can argue that Tom Brady isn't that good. And <laughs> it's funny because the other Patriots fan in a group chat, my roommate, is like, yes, but no, I hate you, but welcome. <laughs> like, And it's just awesome because the Patriots are a huge wild card this year because we all know Bill Belichick is a master. And if he can use his mastermind to get the best out of this team, they're a playoff team. But he could also be using his mastermind and telling his players, hey, if you guys are at all on the fence, just take this year off, get healthy, get rested, and come back next year when we have Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. And that's when we'll be good and we'll start another dynasty. And if that's what he's telling his players... That would be nuts. Now, we haven't seen anything about that, but uh, it would be a real shame if Trevor Lawrence and the New England Patriots would uh, become a new dynasty in the middle of the Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson era. It would just be such a shame. 
or if Deshaun Watson becomes a Patriot. I, I'm just, I'm just throwing these, I'm just throwing these ideas out there because I'll root for any team in the AFC as long as it's not the C words. You're walking a fine line there, Dom. But why? Looking at the Patriots, the big storyline going into the season is who relied on who more. Did Belichick rely on Brady more, or did Brady rely on Belichick more? And this year is still going to show it. But I, I don't think one year, I don't think one single year shows that though. Like that's that's just yeah. I mean, that's to, small sample size. It helps size. develop the argument, is what I'm saying. I mean, one year is not sure. going to show it. But yeah, I mean, they're Bill Belichick's greatest coach of all time, and I believe Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. Like why why is this so complicated? I I don't get it. <laughs> but. The I goal is to win championships, isn't it? And they, they're both hey, can you at quit the top. Me off, please? Ah, no, I, I kind of like it. It's fun. I'm also trying to provide some valuable insight to our listeners. And I think that I provide that sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Like when I predict the Chiefs to have a bottom 10 defense in the league and for the Reds, for the, the Washington football team to uh, win the division. But uh, you can talk now about the Patriots and their hey, dynasty so- with Trevor Lawrence. First off, they're not getting Trevor Lawrence. Just going to say that out loud. I don't think that's going to happen. But the Patriots are just taking hit after hit. I think that this is a team that had the potential to be in that wild card fight because they still have a ton of talent. So looking at the Patriots, though, this is a team that I believe is going to continue to take hits after hits with this whole thing. This could have been a year where you could have seen Cam Newton reestablish himself and show that he can still play, or that Jared Stidham can actually be that next franchise quarterback for them. But this year might not show it. So this is just going to be a season of questions for them going forward. And this season might just be a dud for them before they can really reestablish themselves without Tom Brady, especially with these big losses. But now we're going to move on to our final topic with NFL players opting out, and this last one is going to be the Chiefs. And it's going to be Damian Williams. Damian Williams opted out of the 2020 season. And just so you guys know, even though I think you both know about it, the reason he has opted out is because his mother was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. So that's mm-hmm. his reason for opting out. But I want to hear what you guys think about it and how this could affect the Chiefs running back room and what Clyde <laughs> Edwards Lair does. Uh, uh, another point, you know, you got to address this first. You know, he's opting out for a good reason. Uh, we oh, wish the yeah. best of, to Damian Williams' family. Uh, should have been Super Bowl MVP representing the 619. That would have been NBA, MLB, and NFL championship M- MVPs from the city of San Diego. Strasburg, San Diego. Kawhi, San Diego State. Damian Williams, San Diego. Just want to throw it out there. Uh, but as I've mentioned several, 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 several times on this podcast, running backs are very replaceable in the NFL. And the Chiefs drafted a running back in the first round by the name of Clyde edwards Lair. And I said it was an awful pick. And we will get to see if Clyde edwards Lair can do exactly what he did at LSU in an insanely high-powered offense. And I think he's going to be fine. You know, I'm not not saying the running backs are bad, but he's a talented guy. He's going to get thrown in there, and he's going to get his yards. That's just how it works. However, you could throw in several other players, and they're going to do the exact same thing. So I think this move doesn't help the Chiefs. It just gives more openings to other running backs. And, Ryan, you're on mute. Uh, You're saying (laughs) I'm wrong. But how much better is Damian Williams than these other guys? How many teams was Damian Williams on before he finally found a spot on the Chiefs? He, he was a nobody for, no, 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 for a little no. bit. I'm, I'm saying you're just wrong because it doesn't improve the running back room, but I have an argument that'll make it where— Yeah, no, it doesn't improve it. Like, any player opting out, unless they suck, is going to not help the team. Like, that's just obvious. But I think the fact that it's a running back just— doesn't hurt the team as much as it would in another position and like i said wish the best of luck to damien williams his family and his mother i just don't think this is gonna be a good move for his career going forward are you gonna want to bring him back after you spend a year off we saw how Le'Veon bell performed last year this it sucks for it this is just reality with COVID 19 and 
it, this whole situation is going to be interesting to see the Chiefs running back room. Yeah, I think that uh, it's one of those things where the, the Chiefs have such a dynamic offense as it is. Like, sure, as a fan, you want to see uh, Damian Williams show up the way that he did in that Super Bowl. You want to see what he can do in a full season of work. You want to see how him paired with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can go down, another talented rookie that's coming in. But at the end of the day, I don't see this impacting the Chiefs drastically at all. Uh, I mean, when you have Mahomes, he's going to make all the throws. And when you have Mahomes, you, you you need to choose to make the throws. You don't need to be running the ball very, very often. And they proved that last season. They could win with him slinging it around. There's a reason why he's the highest paid athlete in North American sport history. The guy can do it all. So I, I don't see this impacting them very much. Obviously, it's going to shake up the roster. It's going to give other guys a chance, like Dom said, to fight for that spot and should those guys get that spot. It could be interesting for those two returning, um, but I think that it's not going to have that large of an impact on the Chiefs as a whole. First off, I want to say Damian Williams is opting out for the right reason. If I were in his situation, I would have done the same thing. I wish the best to his mother and to his family who is battling this. It's nothing easy to go through, and I hope everything turns out well and that he can come back and be a player on whatever team the way he impacted the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year, even if he doesn't play another down in a Chiefs uniform, he goes down in history for those two touchdowns he had late in that fourth quarter and helping be a key piece and ending the 50-year drought. But moving on to the actual effects of it with Clyde edwards Lair, I'm going to make the argument that it actually helps for one reason. All right, I please, think that please enlighten us, Ryan. <laughs> I'd love to hear. Because the system that that CEH is entering is the perfect fit for him. He is a, he's going to be the workhorse back, but he's used to that. And you see that with Damian Williams. He's not a guy who's very open and very good at pass protection. And you have Elaire who says, it's part of my job. I take pride in it. And he's a good pass blocker. I think that when looking at the Chiefs running back room, it saves Darwin Thompson, who was a draft pick from the 2019 draft. It saves him his roster spot now. But it, it, like you both said, it opens up opportunities for Darrell Williams, Darwin Thompson, DeAndre Washington, who the Chiefs signed over this offseason. You see that these guys are going to be relied on more instead of just having that one-two punch focus of Williams and Elaire. I've said it on Twitter. I'm going to say it again. Clyde edwards Elaire is winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'm going to stick by that. What a bold take. The highest drafted running back in the draft was rookie of the year. You hear that, everyone? You hear that? This is just going to showcase him more right away, and I think he's going to just plant his impact right away when he has the ability to actually play all three downs and showcase that he is a workhorse back. The Chiefs view him as the running back in the future. They view him as the next Priest Holmes. They view him as a guy who can just stick and go every single play on offense. So they expect a lot of him, and I think that he's going to produce. And by Damian Williams opting out, it makes him better, and I think it just makes the offense run smoother because they have that perfect fit at running back now. But now I'm going to spare you guys, and we're going to move on to another opt-out, but it is not in the NFL. It's the first opt-out in college football, and that is Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley. If you guys don't know who that is, he's their best quarterback, and he's a projected first-round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The reason he is opting out is because he lost his mother due to breast cancer in 2018, and he said in a video that he posted to his Instagram that the competitor in him wants to play so bad, but he can't risk it. And he can't lose another family member and someone that he loves. So what he's doing, in my opinion, you respect it. He's doing it for the right reasons. What do you guys think of what Farley is doing and what could end up coming in college football? Uh, this certainly won't be the last. I I said this on the college basketball bonanza. Uh, the optics of having these kids play for free in the middle of a pandemic while the schools, the conferences, and just about everyone makes 
an insane amount of money is awful. And if you think that the situation, if you think the situation that Farley is in is um, not common across college sports, you're insane. There will be several other opt-outs, like way more than the NFL. Obviously, there's more teams, but there are going to be a lot of opt-outs. I think it's going to be very tough for college sports to get going in the fall, which sucks because I've said multiple times I'm a bigger college football fan than I am NFL fan, You know, partly because of the C-words, but once we don't need to go down that route again. And, you know, Farley, I I got the chance to watch him the past couple of years because my father is a Virginia Tech alum, so I end up watching a lot of their games. He's a stud. Uh, it's, a, it's a shame that we don't get to see him for another year in college, but he, he's also going to be preparing to play on Sundays. And you have to respect it because even if it wasn't for parents' health reasoning, if it was just to prepare for the NFL, I, I would honestly be fine with it. I I'm not some idiot with that like awkward selfie on Twitter that's like like he's selfish and like whatnot on Twitter because he's behind a blind keyboard. Like as much as I enjoy being entertained by these guys, they have lives and people need to respect their lives and their decision is what they think is for their own good. Sometimes we'll disagree and that's fine, but we have to all respect their decisions. Yeah, I 100% agree on each point that you addressed there. I think that, I mean, I haven't had um, too much of a chance to watch a lot of Virginia Tech football, so I can't really, you know, give my critiques or give my positive feedback from him. But from what I've heard, uh, the guy is a freaking nature. He's got so much potential to continue to improve through the training that he's going to have uh, this season while he's away from college football. Um, so I've heard a lot of good things about him. He's projected to be one of those uh, first or second round draft picks, one of the top corners off the board. Um, so he's a very good player from what I've heard. And I think that this can work out because obviously I, I totally agree with the decision. You got to do what it takes uh, to make the right sacrifices that are going to keep people around you safe because that's what's most important. And I feel like this is a good chance for him to just continue to work on the little details, get all the fundamentals, all the techniques down, and just trying to improve himself at the cornerback position any way that he can. And he's not going to be the only one because I think that there was already a lot of guys, and I can't speak for any of these guys because I'm not in their heads. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what their thought process is. But I would have to imagine there's plenty of other guys who were already contemplating opting out as it is and seeing a guy like him lead them that movement is going to kind of push them or nudge them towards that direction. And we could see a lot of guys that are going to train, maybe even train together, assuming they could follow protocols and do it safely uh, to try and, you know, iron sharpen iron, as they say. So these guys can continue to improve, just not against other uh, collegiate level players on a football field. Going into how this affects college football, I think it's going to be another domino. It's going to be a domino effect. You're, this is a first of many. And these players are doing it for the right reasons. He's doing it. Because of his family. He's doing it because he doesn't want to lose another person in his family. Like Dom said, I couldn't have phrased that any better, but what Dom said, right on the head. Okay, these guys have lives. They have stuff that is bigger than sports. The life that they live is not just sports. Like, as much as we love watching these guys and cheering them on and sometimes even bashing them, we have to realize sometimes. that these are guys that... but. At the end of the day, they have lives too. They have their loved ones. They have those people that have always been with them and that they're always going to stand by. And that's what all these NFL players are doing. That's what even Farley's doing. And you have to respect it. In the end, he still has the potential to be a first-round draft pick. He's shown a lot. Last year, he had 10 starts and played in 10 games. He had 12 passes defensed. And four interceptions. And he had a 26.8 passer rating when quarterbacks targeted him. He's a good player. He showed that last year. And, it, yeah, I'll say it. It sucks that he's not going to be there for us to watch. But he's doing it for the right reasons, and you got to respect it. We're going to switch gears and go into the NBA. Bubble time. Bubble talk. But first, before we get into the actual games that we've seen so far, what is going on with Lou Williams? He's been caught <laughs> outside the bubble 
<laughs> who wants to start on this topic of Lou Williams and whatever is going on with him? Uh, I don't. I don't know if you guys listen to Jim Rome in the morning, but I do when I when I when I'm heading to work. And he called him the goat, and I, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, you know, the dude went to a gentleman's club, not a strip club, a gentleman's club, to get wings. If that's not a goat move, I don't know what is. Parker, you could say whatever you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not too much to say. It's just funny, you know. You see Lou Williams, uh, you know, getting toward the boundary of the bubble. You're looking out through your hotel window or on the balcony, and you're like, oh, all right, he's getting a little close there. And all of a sudden, you see him walk on out to head over to that club so that you can hang out with <laughs> Jack Harlow and uh, supposedly get some chicken wings, which uh, he had a craving for. Apparently, the meals that they had prepared uh, were not good enough for him. So I just thought that was – the whole story was hilarious. I do think that um, kind of like what I said last time, although it is really funny, I like it, it's a fun little joke, there is something to be said about him having to now – go the 10 days of self-isolation and quarantine so that he doesn't risk bringing anything back to the bubble uh, because what the NBA has done with this bubble, uh, all jokes aside, has been incredible. They've done a great job of keeping the players healthy so they can limit all the amount of potential cases. So when you do have a guy that goes out the bubble and not only you know picks up postmates like Rashawn Holmes but goes to a club where there's going to be a surplus of people in a very small building – uh, you have to realize that there is a, there is a risk there. He could always bring COVID back into the bubble, which would be a disaster. Um, so I feel like I have to throw that out there. But overall, it's fun because uh, he hasn't gotten it. From what I can tell, I would assume they tested him immediately, uh, and there haven't been any results for that. So it's good to see that he got his chicken wings and everything is fine in the bubble. <laughs> okay, like I like you both said, it's funny, but. It's just, I think this whole thing with the bubble and how Adam Silver has taken this has just even more solidified that he's the best commissioner out of the major sports. Granted, the MLB and NFL commissioners are jokes and clowns, but it just continues to prove Adam Silver has just been spot on with this. He's done it the right way, and look what's going on. No positive tests. It looks like they're going to get their season through. We don't know about MLB yet. Or we, and we don't even know if an NFL season is going to happen. The whole Lou Williams situation is funny, but look at what the potential impact is by his decision on his team. Look at the man. He's a key piece, a big offensive threat for the Clippers, and he's still in isolation. They are losing ground, even though they were not going to get the one seed. They're losing ground that they could be making up on the Lakers to make it closer in that deficit of the one and two seeds, but he'll be back for the playoffs and they'll be fine. It's just, you see these NBA players who just hate the meals that they're getting. They think it's just awful. And then you see reach one Holmes, just go out, just step like two feet outside the bubble, gets his door dash and has to go in isolation. And then Lou will just has to go to that strip club. You know, I bet their chicken wings Gentlemen's. are fantastic. <laughs> we got to oh, be sorry. correct. Sorry, Gentlemen's sorry. <laughs> club, and he has to go get his chicken wings. So, but that's just how that is. You know, the mind of an NBA player, none of us will ever understand. Yeah, I mean, clearly those yeah. chicken wings are incredible. I mean, if I'm ever in Orlando, I guess I know where I'm checking out first. Dude, Head- Headband Dom was born one year ago today, and if Headband Dom can develop a jump shot, I think the defense... <laughs> Combination with shooting can uh can oh, make the three some and impact. D combo guard right there, three and D. Uh, you, free free throw and D. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Headband Dom is a different species. Okay, Dom, sure. Headband I Dom. I suck. Had I'm so bad. <laughs> hey, we, we all do. Had we all moments, do. Okay? I mean, <laughs> don't fully hate on Headband Dom. He's had his moments. Yeah, no, headband Dom's different. I, I suck. Regular Dom is awful. Now, we're going to go on to the next topic, <laughs> and we're going to actually talk about the first game of the restart with Zion. Zion did not play in that final minute of that gut-wrenching, nail-biting game against Utah, and in result— I was at gut-wrenching. 
I mean, it, any was loss... It gut wrenching, was it gut-wrenching for someone who had a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or... <laughs> I didn't even think of that one. <laughs> Wait, once again, we do not promote gambling here, but we do promote winning. But Zion did not play in that final minute, and the Jazz end up winning that game. He's the number one draft pick in the future of the franchise, and I know he's on a minute minutes restriction, but why is he not playing in those critical minutes, in those critical moments? Uh, I will say I had a very strong opinion on this because uh, let me just start off by saying we've seen guys that have started off early in their careers where they have injuries. I mean, look at Philadelphia. They had Joel Embiid who had concerns, and they had Ben Simmons who got injured before his true rookie season. I'm not going to get into the whole rookie of the year award in the NBA. Uh, but as far as a team like that, you see guys who suffered injuries early in their career. You want to be very careful with these guys. You don't want to get their careers off to a really bad start and start to build a bad history with injuries. So I get the reason for the concept of minute restrictions for a guy like Zion. It makes sense. He's a guy that had a family emergency that had him leaving the bubble. So he also was in isolation for those 10 days. So he also wasn't on the court and able to stay in as good of shape as he can, because although he is a world-class athlete, still that's 10 days uh, regardless away from the team. So I understand a minute restriction. What I don't understand, though, and where I think it's too far is you have eight games for this return, for this regular season return to find a way to claw your way within reach so that you can compete for that final eighth seed in the Western Conference. And if you're not willing to put him in for just one more minute, the final minute of the game where the game is on the line, he's been the most efficient scorer of both teams, and he's done great for the minutes that he was out there. I just I don't understand that. And, of course, the competitor in him wanted himself out there. He, he actually said that, uh, I believe it was either today or yesterday. I think it was yesterday. He said that he wanted to go out there, which is no shocker, of course. Joel Embiid was the same way with this. But I think that you have to put him out there. And should the game go to overtime, sure, it's a whole other five minutes. Maybe you don't want to. But these games are too crucial for you to have a chance to make the postseason. And if you're not willing to put him out there for the final 40 seconds, then you're just not going to make a mistake by the Pelicans. Yeah, and they're on the outside looking, and I think they're more concerned about their future. And I really don't blame them. Uh, they're they're one of the last teams invited into the bubble currently four games outside of the eight seed from the Memphis Grizzlies you know with not too many games left I think it's smart that they they kind of hold back on Zion you know still help the NBA by playing him because we all know the whole reason they instigated this whole restart uh, with a couple of games is to get Zion to play which whole nother conversation so I think the fact that he's getting limited minutes is a good thing for both Zion, the Pelicans, and the NBA because I remember watching that fourth quarter run of his back in our room. That was one of the last memories I have with you guys watching Zion play, and uh, that, that was truly an electric moment. We all know this dude is probably the future of the league, him and Ja, and Luca and Trey. God, dog, you had to get oh, no. sentimental like that for a sec. On the yeah, fi- one of the last five. memories. Gosh. But going with what you guys said, I think they should have had him out there. Yeah, they're on the outside looking in, but right now, before that game, they're three and a half games back. If they win that game, they're two and a half games back right now because the Trailblazers beat the Grizzlies. So, and like Zion said, he wants to be out there. He's upset he wasn't out there. And if I were him, I would have been the same way. He wants to be out there, and I think that this is going to come back and hurt them. I know that they're looking towards the future because that's what it is. That Pelicans team is built for the future. They have a terrific core that's young, and they have a great future ahead of them. But I still would have put Zion out there to try to get the win. I just want to say this. I find it really funny that Rudy Gobert shuts down the league, scores the first points when they come back, and gets the game-winning points in the first game. I find that really funny. Now moving on to the Lakers and the Clippers. They live up to the hype once again, and they're just showing in each of their matchups they've had this year 
of what a terrific potential Western Conference Finals matchup they would have. Dom, as a Lakers, so-called Lakers fan, sure. Go ahead and start this off. Putting it with putting it in quotations is a very good way to put it. But uh, but Lake Show, uh, Lakers and foe. Uh, <laughs> I, I seriously saying that. I could. I mean, I don't think anyone could there. <laughs> uh, you know, the Lakers proved that they they can that they're definitely a title contender this year. I don't think anyone doesn't think they are, but you know, some people have been doubting LeBron and the Anthony Davis to get past the Clippers, to past the Bucks, past Celtics, past the Raptors. The Raptors did beat them tonight. But when LeBron puts into that second gear, like he did in that fourth quarter, Lakers are a dangerous team. They're with him and Anthony Davis. That's all they need. You know, Dwight Howard is a beast. Uh, J.R. Smith, role player off the bench now. Still got Kuz, Caruso, uh, Goat. Uh, yep, of Lake, course, gotta mention him. Yeah, Lake goes in foe. <laughs> All right. Well, going off of that, uh, I will say that it, it's I mean, it's been obvious since since the NBA free agency where, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard had joined the Clippers. It seemed like it was almost as guaranteed as possible, barring, you know, no insane injuries that this was going to be the matchup when it comes to deciding the Western Conference team to come out and to play in the finals. And I feel like whoever wins this is going to go on to win the finals, uh, and that's not to discredit anyone from the Eastern Conference, depending on who gets out. But this is the matchup. This is something that I'm very excited in seeing. It's kind of like with the Warriors and the Rockets in past years where it seemed like whoever wins that series is going to go on to win because the other team isn't on the same level. And this isn't quite the same because I think the Bucks and the Raptors and the Celtics are very good in the East. Uh, but the point is being that these are two top-tier teams. It seemed inevitable that they're going to meet in the playoffs. Obviously, that hasn't happened yet, but it seems like it's going to happen. And I know that there was an interesting point that was made right after that game had finished. I forgot who made the point uh, on that broadcast crew, but they said, if you're the Clippers, you don't want to fall to I, I believe is the fourth or the fifth seed because then you'd have to play the Lakers realistically in the second round, assuming they stay as the one seed, which it seems like there's a good chance they will. And I actually completely disagreed with that statement because the way I look at it is Rajon Rondo is not going to be back until they're saying maybe second round, maybe Western Conference Finals. No, for sure yet as far as that timetable goes. But the way I look at it is that would be oh. That's prime time to face a team like the Lakers because they're already so talented from top to bottom. You have LeBron, you have AD, Kuzma's been playing good, and you got some solid role players around those guys. And not having to deal with Rondo and his ability to facilitate that offense and allow LeBron to kind of sit back and do his thing on his end at his respective natural position would go a long way for the Clippers having uh, a slight edge in that category. So I think that that's something that's worth mentioning. I don't see it shaping out that way because I see both teams being those top uh, seeds. So I think they will meet in the Western Conference Finals. And when they do, it's going to be incredible. I expect the series to go to seven. And not only will it go to seven, but every game is going to be played at an extremely high level the exact same way that we saw in this game. I just want to say that this is probably the most touted potential matchup in the Western Conference Finals that we have heard in a long time. I think that this has been such a terrific NBA season because of how even the playing field has been with the Warriors who have just been not dominating this year. But for as dominant as they have been the past couple of years, it's been exciting. It's honestly been terrific. The Lakers have, in my opinion, the best duo in the league. With AD and LeBron. LeBron, in year 17, is still putting up insane numbers. MVP-level numbers. You're put, then you have AD, who is a top five player in the league. A terrific player. And you still have key guys like... And depth guys like Markeith Morris. J.R. Smith. Sadly, no Avery Bradley, which led to the J.R. Smith signing... But you also have Rajon Rondo when he returns, if they're still in the playoffs when they return, but I believe they will be. 
and Dion Waiters. Dion Waiters, I believe, is going to be huge for them, especially when LeBron's off the floor. He's going to be a key guy for them to score. So I think that the Lakers' depth is underrated compared to how everyone looks at just the Clippers' depth and how insane it is, which it is, but you're also forgetting about how good the Lakers' depth truly is. So I'm excited for both these teams. The Lakers are going to get the one seed. I think that if this is the Western Conference Finals, it's going to go to seven games, and it's going to be probably one of the most exciting Western Conference Finals in a very long time. But I think a lot of people are forgetting that the Lakers have such motivation to win after the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. They have that right there. And I think if they win, it's partially destiny, especially like the Red Sox, who won after the Boston bombing, Boston strong, all that. It's destiny. You could make that argument. Is it a huge argument? No, but I believe that's there. Uh, two things. One, I think the Lakers' depth gets overlooked because they play in the same arena as the Clippers, who we all know are driven by their depth. You know, they also do have Kawhi Leonard, my favorite player, and Paul George, who are two incredible players in the NBA. But the depth there is unbelievable. I think that's the reason the Lakers' depth gets overshadowed. Not to compare the two. The Clippers obviously have way better depth, but Lakers' depth gets overlooked because of the Clippers. Secondly, I think almost everyone wants to win for Kobe. I don't think it's something necessarily that the Lakers have that no one else does. Kobe did play for the Lakers, so they, they might have a little bit, but I think almost every single one of these players in the NBA looked up to Kobe, loved Kobe, and I think they would love to win the championship in the year that he passed. So I, I don't think that the Lakers have that big of an advantage because of Kobe's death. Because of Kobe's death. I'm not saying it's an advantage as much as it's extra motivation. Yeah. Brett, well, yeah. You know. I mean, just just going off of that. I mean, we saw that LeBron was repping uh, the little thing on his, the little uh, the 24 wristband on his yeah. tape finger. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was on his finger. I I, I would have said uh, like on his but it was on his finger so it kind of I didn't know how to phrase that um but yeah he, he was repping that I thought that was really cool um just to you know to have that on during the game with the first game back for the Lakers I think that 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 is a storyline that people are looking towards and I, I think that it's one that I mean I don't know what kind of weight it holds I will say though as like a basketball fan and as someone who appreciates and respects Kobe's game. I think that there would be something cool the way, like you mentioned with other sports teams and sports cities that have won championships in the wake of something bad that had happened previously. So I think that this would be something uh, for the city of LA that would be pretty cool. Should they go on to win the championship? Yeah, exactly. I think that it's kind of that destiny look on it. And I think that that's just my view on it. And I think that's something that I, people are overlooking and are excited for when it comes down to the playoffs. But to wrap up this episode, do you guys have any additional thoughts on the games that we've seen so far and just the restart so far? Lakers and folk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for overall thoughts, I just I, I would just say that I applaud the NBA for what they've done with the bubble because I think that they've put a perfect environment in place, whether the players are particularly happy or not with how it's been treated, um, because they're being given the best opportunity to, to thrive, because we see like other leagues that we all love to watch aren't handling it quite as well. Obviously, they have different circumstances, so you can't fault them entirely, but I feel like the NBA has gone above and beyond, like they do with a lot of things, uh, to make this season as realistic as possible, and like with other leagues, there doesn't seem to be like a risk of the league being shut down. It seems like it's smooth sailing and the games have been incredible so far. And I'm just beyond thrilled, even if the Warriors aren't playing right now, which they're not. I'm just so happy to see basketball back because there's so many good teams that are going to compete for a championship. And I look forward to every single step along the way. Yeah, I completely agree. I applaud the NBA and give them the utmost respect and acknowledgement for how well they have taking care of this whole situation and gotten a season in. It's something very commendable. And I think that's something 
that Adam Silver should be very proud of. But I have a few thoughts. The first one is, just over the past couple of days, the bench play from some of these big guys. You see Trey Burke put up 31 last night. Even though the Mavericks lost, he was huge for them. Shot 7 of 8 from 3, 8 or 9 from 3, something like that. He was huge for them. Terrific game from Trey Burke. Trey Burke, sorry. And then you move on to today. You see Kelly Olenek put up 20. And you saw him at the end hit a string of three consecutive threes. The bench play is just terrific to see because those are minutes and those are key points in games where your stars are not in. And when you need points, you can look to those guys to score. So I really like what I've seen from those two. I got to give a shout out to Mello. People say he's washed and that he's not worth anything really anymore. He's been Yesterday, solid for the Blazers. Up 21 points and seven boards off of seven of 10 shooting. Terrific there was game also from zero. There was zero defense in that game. Like but, none. I know. I was still, watching that game at work. Yeah, uh, I was watching it too. Not very, very good a very defense. wise and handsome man figured out how to set up the TV at work. And uh, that, that, that man is. Not you. No, 100% was me, Ryan. Uh <laughs> And, uh, Man, you're really humble. I, you know, my humble is my middle name, Dominic Humble Stern. Uh, as the winner of our football pick'em and then uh, and co-champion in our our college basketball pick'em, which was unfortunately cut cut short. Uh, Coming back this year, baby. It is winning. yes. And uh, I, you know, you finished in last in both. So uh, no, Ryan finished in last. But unfortunately, Ryan is no longer a part of the show. So, therefore, of the three of us, you were last in both. That is so. correct. Another thought on the restart that I am very happy about is hearing the beautiful voice of Mike Breen saying, bang. That was absolutely oh, incredible. That's so true. That's one of the most soothing sounds on the planet Earth. So, I, I was very excited to see that first three in his first call back yeah. go down. Are also, they there? Yes. Yeah, they are. They are. Wow. Yes. Oh. They're just they're just they're just further back, so they're they're not at the the right, scores yeah. table. That's sick though. Oh, yeah. I'm jealous. I also, know that. Shout out to T.J. Warren. 53 points tonight mm-hmm. and a huge yeah, win for good. them over the 76ers. Yep. Ring the bell. Ha <laughs> 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 Oh, another thing. Okay, it's funny. I'll oh, here we go, keep, Parker. Just keep thinking of stuff. I will say another thing with the MVP and the way they've handled everything is I love the fans, the virtual fans that they've been able to show on the little uh, like board that they have, like the little uh, virtual stuff that they got going on. I feel like that's hilarious to go with the crowd noise because we saw with like other sports leagues like the MLB, they have like cutouts and stuff for the home teams, for the fans. I think that's awesome. I'm loving these creative ideas. And the NBA is even funnier because you see these people – who uh, are pretending to be at the game, and I, I think it just brings an added level. on one of them? Oh, yeah, I, I, I did. for the Laker-Clipper game. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a brilliant idea and uh, very well done by the NBA. I completely agree with that. It's honestly really cool to see, and something I'd actually look into doing. That is going to end this episode of the 4-3 Show. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with more on the restart and any – New news in the NFL and college football. Thank you very much for listening.